Morning. Morning. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, earlier this summer, uh, we had mentioned to you that we had shifted our uh, youth pastor, Grant Anderson, uh, to become our associate worship pastor to help lead worship here, uh, along with Zach, on Sunday mornings. And so we have hired a new youth pastor, and uh, I'm going to call him up at this point. Uh, we're excited to introduce him uh, to you today. Uh, he leads our 6th through 12th graders in our youth ministry renovation youth, and his name is Matt Lubrat. Matt, welcome. Uh, tell us, uh, look at that, they're welcoming you. Uh, maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Love that question. Uh, well, my name is Matt. I'm married to my wife, Marnie, over there on the end. Uh, we've been living in Texas for the past couple of years. Uh, we're, we were from Minnesota, down south in Shoreview, just a little bit from here. But we were in Texas. I did my undergrad at TCU, and then I was working in college ministry, and then also working on my uh, master's at Dallas Seminary. Got to a point in that program where we could finally maybe move home. And so uh, decided to come back to be near family, and uh, thanks for the job. <laughs> uh, tell us maybe what you're most looking forward to in leading uh, Renovation Youth. Yeah, I think first and foremost, we're just happy to be uh, a part of such a great church. Um, it's not often that you get to pick a location where you want to move to and then find a great church that's willing to hire you. And so that was amazing. And when it comes to Renovation Youth, we're first excited to partner up with parents to help their students come into a saving relationship with Christ. And then from that, uh, just kind of teach them and shepherd them to walk in that, to grow in that relationship. And by the time that they leave, and hopefully eventually they will leave, we want them to be fruitful disciples that make disciples that make disciples wherever they go. So that's what we're excited about. Awesome. Okay, so students get to Renovation Youth. Parents, send your kids to Renovation Youth. They're going to grow in their faith, and then they're also going to have other students around them. They're going to help them be a positive influence and help them grow spiritually. So they have, th I believe, three summer sessions left, Wednesday nights at 7, and then a regular youth group starts in September as well. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, let's get into our message. Uh, this summer, we've had a great time uh, going through the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Uh, Joshua is the story of how God's people, the Israelites, entered the Promised Land. So, so far, we've seen them miraculously cross the Jordan River. They conquered the city of Jericho, and the walls came uh, tumbling down. They had a, a detour with sin, but after that, they came back and they conquered the city of Ai, uh, by the way, if you've kind of been wondering, why is God allowing or, or maybe even sponsoring so much violence with the conquering and the battles and all these cities in the promised land? I want you to mark your calendars because two weeks from today, on August 14th, uh, we're going to get to a section in Joshua that is especially violent. There's a lot of conquering of cities, and I'm going to take an entire week, and I'm just going to talk about the question of why is the book of Joshua so violent? Because a lot of people have that question about the Bible, and so we're going to talk through that uh, two weeks from today, and I think you're going to be there for that one. Okay, so everybody grab a Bible. Uh, we're going to be on Joshua chapter 9 today, uh, verses, we'll start right at verse 1. Hey, listen, I don't know what you bring. Maybe you bring your own Bible, maybe you use your phone, maybe you use the Bibles here. We're going to be on page 151 uh, if you're using the Bible here. Whatever you use, uh, we just want you to use what you're comfortable with. Even if you have something where you can take notes in, that might be your own Bible or an app, it doesn't really matter to us. We just want you to have the scriptures out and have them in front of you so you can study them as we read. So we're Joshua chapter 9. Uh, we're going to start uh, right at verse 1. Okay, here's what it says. It says, Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, that's the king of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. Now, 
Did you see in verse 1 there where it said, when the kings heard about these things? What that's referring to is the fact that the Israelites had already conquered these significant cities of Jericho and Ai, and these kings are afraid. So they're going to come together now in alliance. We're going to see that uh, starting next week. But there's another group of people from a different city who are going to take an entirely different approach. And we're going to see that now. Let's get to verse 3. It says, However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Okay, now we're going to see in just a second that these people are not from a distant country at all. In fact, they're from just down the road. Okay, there's an important piece of context actually here from the Old Testament. So if you were to go back uh, before this earlier when the Israelites were still in the desert, before they got to the promised land, you would read that the Lord had told the Israelites, hey, you can make a peace treaty with people as long as they're outside of the promised land. But you can't make a peace treaty with someone in the promised land because your mission is to go in and reconquer, to take back the land that I have given to you. And so these people come and they say, well, we're not from the promised land. We're from way far away. Okay, let's see what happens next. Verse 7. It says, the Israelites said to the Hivites, which is like a broader term for the Gibeonites, the people from Gibeon. It says, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? Oh, we are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and, and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now, see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Okay, so the Gibeonites have this brilliantly devious plan, right? They are going to trick the Israelites with flattery and disguise, right? It's the old moldy bread trick, I guess, okay? But but this should be fine, right? Because the Israelites, they're growing spiritually mature. They have seen God do some pretty amazing things in the first eight chapters. There's no way that they're going to fall for this, right? Right? Okay, verse 14. <laughs> Here's what it says. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Okay, so what's happening here? Uh, verse 14, for the many of you that are taking um, uh, studying God's word of this summer, verse 14 is the main point of the text. It's what the author is getting at here. It's in verse 14. We're told that the Israelites, they sample what's in front of them, right? They're investigating the evidence that's in front of their eyes. You can sort of imagine them going around like, oh, look at the bread. It's totally moldy, right? And another guy comes around and says, oh, yeah, 
the wineskins totally cracked. I mean, this, is, this stuff is so old. And someone said, look at their sandals. This is like a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down of a hand. This is, these, yes, we have done our due diligence. There is no way, based on the evidence in front of our eyes, there is no way that these people are from the promised land. So sign the treaty. So they examine all the evidence, but what did they miss? Look at the end of verse 14. This is what the whole chapter is about. It says, but they did not inquire of the Lord. And Christians, how often do we do the exact same thing? Many of us, even as longtime Christians, we make serious decisions in our lives without actually ever inquiring of the Lord. Now, let me give you some examples of this. Now, for those of you that are parents, think about like when you decided you were going to stop having kids. Right? Usually it's you have you know, one, two, you have three kids. And usually that moment comes at one of those moments where you, you are like ready to pull your hair out, right? And you're looking around, you're like, what is wrong with these crazy, what's a nice word, uh, <laughs> things, that's not a good word, uh, people running around my house, right? And you look at your spouse and you say, we are done. I mean, done, done, right? Okay, and a lot of us, you've had that conversation over the years, but here's the thing. When that happened, how many of you actually inquired of the Lord? And you know that the Lord told you not to have any more kids. That's kind of a big decision, isn't it? But a lot of us, we just kind of, we never asked. Or take where you live, right? Your apartment or your, your house. A lot of us, we look at it and we say, Oh, it's too small or it's, it's too old. I just want to, I need to move somewhere else. But have you actually inquired of the Lord? Does he even want you to? One of the things that I love about what Joshua, or what God is teaching us through Joshua chapter 9, is that Joshua chapter 9 shows the limitations of human wisdom. Because it's not like the, it's not like Joshua and the Israelites did nothing. The Gibeonites didn't come, and it's not like Joshua said, hi, I'm Joshua, let's sign a treaty in blood. Right? That's not what happened. They did investigative work. No, they thoroughly, they grilled the Gibeonites, they asked them questions, they examined all the evidence in front of their eyes. But there is a limitation to human wisdom. Now, human wisdom is important. Okay? I read the book of Proverbs in the Bible. In the Bible, most of the book of Proverbs is just God reiterating a basic human wisdom. A lot of it's just honestly common sense. God gave you a brain for a reason. Okay? And so you want to use it. But you have to at the same time realize that you, you can't and you don't see everything that there is to see. But we need to remember that there is a God that we have access to that knows infinitely more than we do. He has a higher wisdom. Now, let me give you an example of this. Uh, one of the best books that I've read uh, in the last couple of years uh, is a book by Darlene Dibler Rose called Evidence Not Seen. Uh, if you've never read this book, I encourage you to take a picture of this and write this down. Fantastic book. Uh, this is a biography of an uh, incredible missionary, uh, who was in Indonesia in the 1940s. And there's this gripping part of the book where World War II has just begun in Asia. And there's 10 missionaries, five couples, they're in Indonesia. And 
what happens is the, the Japanese are coming on their ships, and it's going to be really dangerous because the Japanese are coming. They're just conquering everything in sight at this point. And so the lead missionary, he gets the five couples together, and he says, listen, three days from now, there's a boat that's leaving our island, and it's going to return to America, leave the harbor, and go to safety. We're missionaries here in Indonesia, and so we've got to decide, are we going to get on the boat and go home to safety, or are we not? And he said, so what I want you to do is I want each of you to go off by yourself, and I want you for a day to fast and pray and seek the Lord and ask him what he wants us to do. And then what I want you to do is come back on your own, come to me, write on a slip of paper what the Lord has told you to do and hand it to me. Do it all by yourself because he said it's really important that you know what the Lord told you to do, not what your spouse influenced you to do because that might affect you the rest of your life. You've got to know it was the Lord. So they all go off for a day and they fast and they pray and they seek the Lord. They come back, they write on the paper, they hand it to the leader. And guess what? Ten out of ten of them wrote the exact same thing. And they wrote that the Lord had very clearly called them to not get on the ship, to stay in Indonesia. Well, the next day they watch with tears as that ship leaves the harbor off towards safety toward America. They know the Japanese are coming. And they're just going, oh, Lord, seriously, why? You know what happened? Three days after that ship left the harbor, the Japanese torpedoed that ship with a missile and every single person on board died. That's crazy. Now, if you're in that situation in Indonesia, human wisdom says, get out right now. Why in the world would you stay in a country that's about to be conquered? But as followers of the one true God, they knew that human wisdom only knows so much. And so they accessed a higher wisdom who knew exactly what was going to happen. And I think Joshua chapter 9 is so important for this. And I think it's really relevant to our culture this day and age, even for many people in this room. There are many of you in this room that are quite educated. Some of you in this room have been quite successful at work. And because of that, you are even more inclined to have a fairly high trust in your own ability to make decisions. Am I right? You just don't want to say it, but I am. Okay. (laughs) I urge you to see God's truth in this chapter. And that is human wisdom, no matter how knowledgeable you are, only goes so high. Right? And as Christians, we are called to walk by faith, not just by sight. And that is because there are some things that are coming up in your life that you just can't see. But God, from his perspective, he has a higher wisdom and he can see them. I mean, think about this passage. God absolutely knew that the Gibeonites were from just down the road, but nobody asked him. And so they missed it. They missed accessing this higher wisdom. And so this is the question that I want every single person in the room to ask this morning. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. What decision in your life, ask yourself this, what decision am I not praying about right now? What decision, just like Joshua in chapter 9, have you not inquired of the Lord? We do this, all of us, I mean, this is, Joshua is a godly man, Okay. And yet he just kind of got into the rhythm of trusting in his, with his own eyes. 
So what is it? Maybe it's something at work. And you just honestly, you've never, you haven't even prayed about it yet. Maybe it's even who you're going to begin dating. Maybe it's even who you're going to marry. Maybe it's something, a decision you have to make as a parent. What decision am I not praying about right now? Seek the Lord on it. And let me tell you, it isn't just that God is saying, hey, seek me and I can give you a little boost of wisdom. It's actually more serious than that. We need to realize that if we don't seek God's higher wisdom on some of these decisions we need to make, then we will experience the consequences of our own arrogance, of thinking that it's fine if we just lead our own lives. Because that's what happened to Joshua and the Israelites. Let's keep reading now. So where we left off, we were at verse 16, if you want to pick it back up. It says, Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Gephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly, so that's just all of the Israelite people, grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. And the Gibeonites aren't killed. They become servants of the Israelites. But here there are consequences to not seeking God's wisdom. In fact, to make matters worse, Worse, uh, next week I'm going to teach teach on Joshua chapter 10, and you're going to see that the other tribes actually take advantage of the Israelites' mistake. All the other kings find out that this treaty has been made, and they go, you know what they do? They go and they attack the Gibeonites because they know that the Israelites are now pledged and bound to defend them. And so it isn't just that we're missing out on a higher wisdom when we don't seek the Lord. No, we actually suffer when we decide that we can lead our own lives with our limited human wisdom. So trust in the Lord, my friend. Seek out his higher wisdom. And the great thing is, Christian, you have access to it. But I think the really, really, really practical question for a lot of us, and maybe you have a huge decision coming up this week, or this month, or this year. We go, you can sit here and you can go, okay, yes, I need to seek the Lord, I need to know what he wants. But how do you actually hear from God? You know what I'm saying? How do you actually inquire of the Lord and access his wisdom? What I want to do is I want to give you three main ways to hear from God. I think about these three ways a lot. So I encourage you, even write this down somewhere, even if you throw it away on the way out, because these are the three things that you're just going to want to memorize as a Christian. So here we go. Three main ways to hear from God, if you are going to inquire of him, and I pray that you do. Here's number one. We'll throw it on the screen for you. It's this. Read his word. That's read the Bible. Sometimes I think as Christians, we overcomplicate this step and we miss it. We overcomplicate hearing from God because many of the answers that you need regarding the decisions you have to make are already in the scripture. Like sometimes we pray silly things. We pray like, Lord, do you want me to share my faith with my friend or not? And God is going, read my word. And the answer is yes. (laughs) Stop praying about it, right? I've already given you my answer. Many, many of the issues in life that we're seeking answers on, the Lord has already given an answer on. 
in Scripture. And the other thing about the Bible is this is no ordinary book. Okay, it is divinely inspired. The book of Hebrews says that it is living, it is active. And because that's true, when you open up the Bible every day, I want you to do something for me if you're not doing this already. Before you start reading, I want you to pray, even if it's for three seconds. And I want you just to pray something like this. Every time you open it up, just pray, Lord, would you speak to me today? Something simple like that. Lord, would I, I'm looking for your direction. Would you just guide me to the right passage, the right book to start? Would the words just jump off the page and into my heart? Ask God to speak through his word. That's one of the things he loves to do. And if you're not doing that already, pray before you read, even if it's just for a few seconds. Okay, number two, this is the second main way that we hear from God when you inquire of him. And that is you ask God to speak to your mind, right? This is how we often think when we think, okay, I want to hear from the Lord. I want to have his direction. But what does that actually look like? I want to give you a few real practical, actual examples. So for example, personally, when I felt the Lord uh, calling us as a church to start giving the gospel, giving an invitation every single week, we didn't used to do that. We used to do it maybe eight times a year. Um, This is how the Lord spoke to me. Specifically, it was through a repetition. That's one of the ways that I just know the Holy Spirit is speaking to my mind. So on this particular issue, I literally could not stop thinking about it. Every time I sat down to pray, it's all I could think about. I would wake up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., get out of bed, and it's all I could think about. It was the Lord just, sometimes we use the word impressed, like pressing it onto my mind. And so sometimes God does that. He just strongly impresses something on your mind. The challenge is, though, and I'm sure you've been in this position where you go, yeah, but how do I know that's God and not just my manic mind? Like, how how do you tell the difference? I wish I had a half an hour to talk about that question, but let me just say this briefly. It is something that you do learn as the years go by of walking with Jesus. The Bible tells us that God's sheep begin to recognize his voice more and more. So let me give you another example of this. I can remember when I was a young Christian, uh, I was 22 years old and I was working as a student teacher uh, in an elementary school before I had made a decision to go to seminary and, and be a pastor. And I was at the school and we had an early morning staff meeting and the principal had to give this stern talk to the teachers on a really difficult subject. And I was sitting in this meeting and I thought, wow, she is doing an absolutely amazing job leading this difficult meeting. Later in the day, I was in the office. I had to grab something off the printer or something. And I was walking by the principal's office and I had this strong impression in my mind. And I, I thought, I need to go into her office and tell her what an amazing job she did. And I thought, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm a student teacher. I thought, I'm, at the time, I'm 22. I look like I'm about 12 at the time, right? So I'm thinking, what, what am I going to say? And even though, honestly, I was about 70% sure at the time that that was the Lord. In disobedience, I walked right by her office. And as I did so, I literally felt sick to my stomach. And that's part of what I'm talking about. As you grow, you learn to recognize, like, what are the signs of his voice? And as I felt that, I turned around. I go back into her office, and I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> and I say, listen, I just, I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you, 
you did an absolutely amazing job leading that meeting. It was so difficult, so complex, but the way you did it, the way you said it, it was just, it was brilliant. And I just wanted to tell you that I was so impressed. And as I begin telling this to her, she begins to cry. And she says to me, I cannot tell you how much I needed that encouragement right now. What is that? It's the Lord. And he can indeed impress and speak to our minds. We just got to listen, and then we got to obey too, right? Okay, so that's the second way. Here's the third way that you want to inquire of the Lord. Number three, ask other Christians to speak into your decision. These are three basic things, Christian, that you want to memorize when you have to make decisions and seek the Lord. Okay, so the Bible tells us very clearly that the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives in each and every Christian. And so often one of the best ways that you will hear from God is through other Christians. So when I have uh, big decisions to make, uh, especially on a church level, I don't just go into the desert and ask God to shout out loud, right? Plus, where is there a desert around here anyway, right? Maybe Wisconsin. What a wasteland, okay? (laughs) Okay. No, when I need to make a, a, a tough decision, I work these steps, right? I, I, I open his word. I say, God, speak to me. I'm, I'm asking him to speak to, to my mind, to my heart. And then I'm going around to other believers that I trust, that I respect. And I'm saying, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? The godly person seeks input from other Christians. So, for example, one of the biggest decisions I think I've ever faced in my entire life, especially as a leader, was trying to find land, for this church, so we could eventually put this building on a piece of land, uh, back when we used to meet at North Point Elementary School down the road. And we knew, obviously, of this property, Lexington and 125th, right? This is one of the best intersections in, in the whole town. But honestly, this piece of property was way out of our, our price range. And yet there's a woman in our church named uh, Barbara Marr. Barbara has uh, been on our board for a really long time. Uh, she's a great spiritual leader of this church that many, many people respect. Uh, she was on our land search team back in the day, and she kept saying to us, Lexington and 125th. It's Lexington and 125th. Guys, God is telling me something about we got to look into Lexington and 125th. And I was thinking this week about now just remembering her saying that to us. And I remembered that Barbara had sent us an email on that exact subject. And being the organized nerd that I am, I never delete an email. Okay? Anyone else in here? You never delete an email? Look at you. I love all of you. Okay? So I went back and I found her email to me on this subject. And here's what it said. She, she says, okay, David. Again, it seems like whenever I contact anyone about our land search, I keep running into this location, Lexington and 125th. Then I respond to her with the faith of a curmudgeon, and I say, hi, Barbara. I'm quoting exactly here. I'll continue to pray about this, but you may be right. The real challenge is, Barbara, (laughs) how am I the pastor of this church? We just can't afford that price. It's listed as $6 a square foot, but we can only really afford $4 a square foot, which is true, which is a massive difference. And it was. By the way, you want to know what we bought this huge piece of property for? So it was listed at $6 a square foot. We could seriously only afford $4 a square foot. We ended up buying it for $3.85 a square foot. That's a, it was a $600,000 difference. 
from what the list price was. But here's the problem. I was like Joshua and all the Israelites in Joshua chapter 9. And I'm saying, okay, listen, everybody. Listen, leaders. I have examined all of the evidence. Let me lay out all of the math for you. I've used my wisdom, and I'm telling you, it's just not possible. But some of our team members are saying, I don't care. There's a higher wisdom. There's a higher wisdom than what we can see with our human eyes. And that's why it is so important that you let other Christians speak into your life. By the way, for some of you, that's also why it's so, so important that you have to be in a house group this fall. Because church is so much more than you just coming on Sunday and hearing a Bible teaching. You have to have the church, the body, the people in your life so God can speak into your life in that way with that higher wisdom. And so the point is this. We all have decisions to make. There is a God who has a higher wisdom, and he wants to give it to you. So read his word, ask him to speak to your mind, and consult other Christians that you trust. And let's pray that he speaks to us. Let's do that right now. Lord, I thank you so much uh, that you love us, that you even have wisdom that you would give to us, and that you would give it to us. Lord, I pray that we would seek you. Uh, The things that you uh, brought to our mind today that we just haven't sought you on yet. Lord, I pray as a body, as the people of Renovation Church, that we would bring them to you this week in these ways and that we would hear your voice. That even now, as we worship you, that we would hear your voice and sense your direction. In your name we pray. Amen.